Little Women, Chapter 22, Pleasant Meadows. Like sunshine after a storm were the peaceful weeks which followed. The invalids improved rapidly, and Mr. March began to talk of returning early in the new year. Beth was soon able to lie on the study sofa all day, amusing herself with the well-beloved cats at first and in time with dolls sewing, which had fallen sadly behind hand. Her once active limbs were so stiff and feeble that Joe took her for a daily airing about the house in her strong arms. Meg cheerfully blackened and burned her hands cooking delicate messes for her dear, while Amy, a loyal slave of the ring, celebrated her return by giving away as many of her treasures as she could prevail on her sisters to accept. As Christmas approached, the usual mysteries began to haunt the house and Joe frequently convulsed the family by proposing utterly impossible or magnificently absurd ceremonies in honor of their unusually merry Christmas. Lori was equally impractical, and would have had bonfires, skyrockets, and triumphal arches if he had had his own way. After many skirmishes and snubbings, the ambitious pair were considered effectually quenched and went about with forlorn faces, which were rather belied by explosions of laughter when the two got together. Several days of unusually mild weather fitly ushered in a splendid Christmas day. Hannah felt in her bones that it was going to be an unusually fine day, and she proved herself a true prophetess, for everyone and everything seemed bound to produce a grand success. To begin with, Mr. March wrote that he would soon be with them. Then Beth felt uncommonly well that morning, and, being dressed in her mother's gift, a soft crimson merino wrapper, was borne in high triumph to the window to behold the offering of Joe and Laurie. The unquenchables had done their best to be worthy of the name, for like elves they had worked by night and conjured up a comical surprise. Out in the garden stood a stately snow maiden, crowned with holly, bearing a basket of fruit and flowers in one hand, a great roll of music in the other, a perfect rainbow of an afghan around her chilly shoulders, and a Christmas carol issuing from her lips on a pink paper streamer. The Young Frau to Beth God bless you, dear Queen Bess. May nothing you dismay but health and peace and happiness be yours this Christmas day. Here's fruit to feed our busy bee and flowers for her nose. Here's music for her peony, an afghan for her toes. A portrait of Joanna C. by Raphael Number 2, who labored with great industry to make it fair and true. Accept a ribbon red I beg for Madame Perrer's tail, and ice cream made by lovely Peg, a Mont Blanc in a pail. Their dearest love my makers laid within my breast of snow. Accept it and the alpine maid, from Laurie and from Joe. How Beth laughed when she saw it, how Laurie ran up and down to bring in the gifts, and what ridiculous speeches Joe made as she presented them. I was so full of happiness that if father was only here, I couldn't hold one drop more, said Beth, quite sighing with contentment as Joe carried her off to the study to rest after the excitement and to refresh herself with some of the delicious grapes the young Frau had sent her. So am I, added Joe slapping the pocket wherein reposed the long-desired Undine and Sintram. I'm sure I am, echoed Amy, poring over the engraved copy of the Madonna and Child, which her mother had given her in a pretty frame. Of course I am, cried Meg, smoothing the silvery folds of her first silk dress, for Mr. Lawrence had insisted on giving it. How can I be otherwise? Now and then, in this workday world, things do happen in the delightful storybook fashion. 
and what a comfort it is. Half an hour after everyone had said they were so happy they could only hold one drop more, the drop came. Lori opened the parlor door and popped his head in very quietly. He might just as well have turned a somersault and uttered a native war whoop, for his face was so full of suppressed excitement and his voice so treacherously joyful that everyone jumped up, though he only said, in a queer, breathless voice, Here's another Christmas present for the March family. Before the words were well out of his mouth, he was whisked away somehow, and in his place appeared a tall man, muffled up to the eyes, leaning on the arm of another tall man, who tried to say something and couldn't. Of course, there was a general stampede, and for several minutes everyone seemed to lose their wits. For the strangest things were done, and no one said a word. Mr. March became invisible in the embrace of four pairs of loving arms. Joe disgraced herself by nearly fainting away, and had to be doctored by Lori in the china closet. Mr. Brooke kissed Meg entirely by mistake, as he somewhat incoherently explained. And Amy, the dignified, tumbled over a stool and, never stopping to get up, hugged and cried over her father's boots in the most touching manner. Mrs. March was the first to recover herself, and held up her hand with a warning. Hush! Remember Beth. But it was too late. The study door flew open. The little red wrapper appeared on the threshold. Joy put strength into the feeble limbs, and Beth ran straight into her father's arms. Never mind what happened just after that, for the full hearts overflowed, washing away the bitterness of the past and leaving only the sweetness of the present. It was not at all romantic, but a hearty laugh set everyone straight again, for Hannah was discovered behind the door, sobbing over the fat turkey which she had forgotten to put down when she rushed up from the kitchen. As the laugh subsided, Mrs. March began to thank Mr. Brooke for his faithful care of her husband. Mr. Brooke suddenly remembered that Mr. March needed rest, and, seizing Lori, he precipitately retired. Then the two invalids were ordered to repose, which they did, by both sitting in one big chair and talking hard. Mr. March told how he had longed to surprise them, and how, when the fine weather came, he had been allowed by his doctor to take advantage of it. How devoted Brooke had been and how he was altogether a most upright young man. Why Mr. March paused a minute just there, and after a glance at Meg, who was violently poking the fire, looked at his wife with an inquiring lift of the eyebrows, I leave you to imagine. Also, why Mrs. March gently nodded her head, and asked, rather abruptly, if he wouldn't like to have something to eat. Joe saw and understood the look, and she stalked grimly away to get wine and tea, muttering to herself as she slammed the door. I hate estimable young men with brown eyes. There never was such a Christmas dinner as they had that day. The fat turkey was a sight to behold when Hannah set him up, stuffed, browned, and decorated. So was the plum pudding, which melted in one's mouth, likewise the jellies in which Amy reveled like a fly in a honeypot. Everything turned out well, which was a mercy, Hannah said. Mr. Lawrence and his grandson dined with them, also Mr. Brooke, at whom Joe glowered darkly, to Lori's infinite amusement. Two easy chairs stood side by side at the head of the table, in which sat Beth and her father, feasting modestly on chicken and a little fruit. They drank healths, told stories, sang songs, reminisced, as the old folks say, and had a thoroughly good time. A sleigh ride had been planned, but the girls would not leave their father. So the guests departed early, and as twilight gathered, the happy family sat together round the fire, 
Just a year ago, we were groaning over the dismal Christmas we expected to have. Do you remember? Asked Joe, breaking a short pause which had followed a long conversation about other things. Rather a pleasant year on the whole, said Meg, smiling at the fire and congratulating herself on having treated Mr. Brooke with dignity. I think it's been a pretty hard one, observed Amy, watching the light shine on her ring with thoughtful eyes. I'm glad it's over because we've got you back, whispered Beth, who sat on her father's knee. Rather a rough road for you to travel, my little pilgrims, especially the latter part of it. But you've got on bravely, and I think the burdens are in a fair way to tumble off very soon, said Mr. March, looking with fatherly satisfaction at the four young faces gathered round him. How do you know? Did Mother tell you? asked Joe. Not much. Straws show which way the wind blows, and I've made several discoveries today. Oh, tell us what they are, cried Meg, who sat beside him. Here's one. I remember a time when this hand was smooth, and your first care was to keep it so. It was very pretty then, but to me it is much prettier now. For in this seeming blemishes I read a little history. A burnt offering has been made to vanity. This hardened palm has earned something better than blisters, and I'm sure the sewing done by these pricked fingers will last a long time. So much good will went into the stitches. Meg, my dear, I'm proud to shake this good, industrious little hand, and I hope I shall not soon be asked to give it away. If Meg had wanted a reward for hours of patient labor, she received it, in the hearty pressure of her father's hand and the approving smile he gave her. What about Joe? Please say something nice, for she's tried so hard and been so very, very good to me, said Beth in her father's ear. He laughed and looked across at the tall girl who sat opposite, with an unusually mild expression in her face. In spite of the curly crop, I don't see the son Joe I left a year ago, said Mr. March. I see a young lady who pins her collar straight, laces her boots neatly, doesn't lie on the rug nearly as much as she used to, and takes care of a certain little person in a motherly way which delights me. I rather miss my wild girl, but if I get this strong, loving woman in her place, I shall feel quite satisfied. I don't know whether the shearing sobered our black sheep, but... I do know that in all Washington I couldn't find anything beautiful enough to be bought with the five and twenty dollars my good girl sent me. Joe's keen eyes were rather dim for a minute, and her thin face grew rosy in the firelight as she received her father's praise, feeling that she did deserve a portion of it. Now, Beth, said Amy, longing for her turn but ready to wait. There's so little of her I'm afraid to say much, for fear she'll slip away altogether, but... Though she is not so shy as she used to be, I've got you safe, my Beth, and I'll keep you so, so help me God. After a minute's silence, he looked down at Amy, who sat on the cricket at his feet, and said with a caress of the shining hair, I observed that Amy ate all that she was given at dinner, ran errands for her mother all afternoon, obeyed Meg, and made a valiant effort with her sewing, and has done all of this with patience and good humor. I also observe that she does not fret much, and has not even mentioned a very pretty ring which she wears. So I conclude she's learned to think of 
other people more and of herself less. And I am very proud of you, my talented little one. What are you thinking of, Beth? Asked Joe, when Amy had thanked her father and told about her ring. I read in Pilgrim's Progress today how, after many troubles, Christian and Hopeful came to a pleasant green meadow where lilies bloomed all year round. And there they rested happily as we do now, before they went on to their journey's end, answered Beth, adding as she slipped out of her father's arms and went to the instrument. It's singing time now, and I want to be in my old place. I'll try to sing the song of the shepherd boy which the pilgrims heard. I made the music for father because he likes the verses. So, sitting at the dear little piano, Beth softly touched the keys, and in the sweet voice they had never thought to hear again, sang to her own accompaniment the quaint hymn, which was a singularly fitting song for her. That was chapter 22 of Little Women. Joe was played by Brie Kiffalo. Meg was played by Amy Renee Byrne. Lori was played by Elijah Brown. Marmy was played by Lydia Hannibal. Beth was played by Desinuoco. Mr. March was played by Rand Whipple. And Amy was played by me, Emily Rose. The show is also produced and edited by me and recorded by the actors. If you would like to follow and support the show, you can find us at little underscore women underscore show on Instagram.